All right, today I spoke with Ben. Let's get a quick introduction from him and then we'll jump into the full conversation. Um, hi, um, I'm Ben Byford. Um, I run a podcast called the Machine Ethics Podcast. And I also consult with companies, organizations on AI ethics and designing and building and implementing and uh, knowing more about this area. Um, and I also teach uh, coding and design and I also um, make computer games. So uh, yeah, completely all over the place. Uh, and that's what I do. So before we get into it, I want to let you know what we are doing here at this series, Are You a Robot? In case this is your first time, we are trying to tackle some of the biggest and most complicated or oftentimes challenging questions that come up and they are stemming from AI and related technologies. The way that we're doing that is we are gathering the best and brightest minds in the respective fields to come on and talk to me about how exactly they see the state of the world with respect to what they're working on and the greater AI ethics picture, AI governance, and we're not finishing the conversation here. I want to make that very clear that if you would like, we have a Slack channel where you can go and you can continue talking about any of the episodes that you see on here. There's some incredible conversations happening there. Right now, I encourage you to jump in it, get involved, introduce yourself, let us know what you're working on. And if you see the world any differently than we do, we encourage differences in opinions because that is how we will grow. We would love to try and come up with some best practices together as we move forward through this incredible space. Now, last thing I will mention before we jump into the full conversation is that we have a sponsor. If you've been listening for a while, you know that Ethics Grade has sponsored us from the get-go and they are doing some wonderful stuff when it comes to benchmarking or rating companies. Now, a little bit of background information about Ethics Grade. They are an ESG benchmarking or ratings company, I should say. So, Everyone knows that ESG studies the non-financial impacts that companies have on the environment. And what Ethics Grade is doing is they're niching down even more and they're studying the AI programs that different companies have. So that means that companies like Twitter or TikTok can be rated or I should say, are rated on the ethics grade website. And you can see what kind of grade they got considering their AI ethics program. So I would implore you, go check out their website, ethicsgrade.io, have a play around, see all of these different ratings. And you might be surprised. Some of the companies that you think have got some incredible AI ethics programs might shock you in what they actually have. And other companies that you are for sure thinking haven't done anything on the AI ethics front also might shock you. I know it did for me. And so I highly encourage you to check that out. That is all for the intro. Let's get into it with Ben Bryford. Are you a robot? 
Ben. It is great to have you here. Thank you for coming on this show, you. Are You a Robot? I think it is nice to have a fellow podcaster on here, not only for the audio quality, but mm-hmm. also for the fact that you know how this all works and you've been doing it for quite some time. So I really want to dig in to what has been going on over the years as you've been doing your podcast on AI ethics. Uh, But before we get into that, I thought it might be a nice way to start the show by turning around Mm. the question that you like to ask people. As I've been a bit of an avid listener of your show (laughs) as of late, uh, what is AI, Ben? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And obviously, it's uh, part of this whole area is that people have these kind of ideas in their brain about um, this language, right? It's all the semantics. And part of that comes from culture and the things that we see on TV and film, and books, etc. And um, storytelling, you know, and some of that comes from, you know, some scientific research, or more, more factual things over this side. And um, I think for me... <laughs> AI is this amorphous thing, um, but you can kind of almost can't like put it into two boxes. You can say it's this thing over here, which is like this dream or this kind of endeavor for making a kind of artifice, which is human-like or extra human-like. So that's where we get into the kind of a uh, AGIs and super intelligence sort of style kind of viewpoints. Mm, um, yeah. How do you make something which is more intelligent or as intelligent as we are? And, you know, again, we have to just start to sort of defining things like intelligence, et cetera. Um, and then over here, you kind of have like what we have today and, and there's more kind of like uh, what sometimes is called like fancy statistics, <laughs> you know, um, where you're like, as soon as something becomes understandable or dull, it ceases to become AI. And, and people often say that on the podcast, that it's often kind of like, you know, AI is like all sorts of things until it's every day and then it's not AI anymore because um, yeah, we kind of use it and it, understand it a bit better. So I think it's both this kind of like technical thing that we're doing right now and also this kind of endeavor at the same time. That's so nice to hear. And it is funny. I I know that there's a lot of people that have misconceptions or expect a lot more from AI. Yeah. And it's nice to hear you say like, yeah, if we understand it, it's not exactly AI anymore. Uh, along those lines, this was one that I was going to ask you later on, but I think I should probably mm. ask it now that you said that. Where have you felt like AI had a lot of potential, but has fallen flat? Like where did did you see something that was going to be used by AI or can still be used by AI, but so far there hasn't been anything to write home about? Um, Yeah, that's that's something that I don't normally think talk about think about so it's a good question i guess to make force me to do so um yeah um the thing that i always say that ai is good at that humans are not very good at is 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 an obvious thing right it's kind of like efficiency and speed so you can you can give a system you know millions of images and they will look at it in a day and give you like a reasonably intelligible answer 
Whereas you do that with human being, even distributed human beings, and that's going to take forever, right? That's just not going to be a very useful situation. So the, the flip of the coin of what it is good for <laughs> is, is those sorts of tasks, right? So looking at, uh, I don't know, cancer images or images of spotting something in an image over and over and over again. And it's quite good at that. Um, it's, it's things that humans are just unable to do. Like we are physically not able to do some, these sorts of applications. Um, for some reason, quadcopters came into my head. So as soon as, again, this is, comes under something which probably was AI and isn't AI anymore. Could you remember when quadcopters came in and they were like, what is that? That's amazing. It's like hovering around, you, self-writing I, itself. Yeah, for, for those who don't know, can you explain what quadcopters are? Um, so they're kind of like little helicopters. And the idea was that you'd have these um, self-writing uh, helicopters and very they could be very, very small and they could behave um, correctly in different environments. So if you pushed it or there was lots of air pressure, it would still, re you know, regain its kind of like level, um, which means it could be used in all sorts of different environments. And when these things started self-piloting themselves as well as self-writing themselves, the applications made were becoming apparent, right? Um, and this is, you know, I don't know, 10 years ago. This is not actually that much time ago. And the the maths, uh, the algorithms putting together to, to do the self-writing bit and um, actually make them fly and coordinate the different, you know, physical fans, right? The physical uh, uh, um, propellers and stuff. Um, you know, was a thing that had to be made. And yeah. I don't think that's AI anymore, you know, in that way. <laughs> but essentially, it is taking this input and it's, it's self-correcting and it's doing a lot of that kind of, um, um, you know, normalization um, stuff, um, mm -hmm. fancy statistics stuff inside. Um, probably going off on, on a tangent a little bit. Um, <laughs> oh, I love it. That's what this is all about, man. Just go off on as many tangents and yeah. as far into left field as you want. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so I think that's one of those applications where we, from that point, I could imagine lots of lots of different things acquiring this sudden release of applicable step forward, right? We've suddenly had this, we've had helicopters and we had, sorry, there's a siren. We've had like, a lot of these things for a long time and then suddenly there's this big step um, which was these kind of autonomous self-writing navigable things which which you know was just a combination of different uh, things coming together to make this quadcopter and you could see that just kind of being applied to different areas so how can we then do um you know, self-driving cars is a bit like that, but hasn't come into fruition like in the short amount of time people thought it would. Um, but what other things can we just apply this sort of technology to, this, these algorithms? Um, you know, a lot of statistics, a lot of crunching of data really, really quickly. Um, and I feel like we haven't had that. I think, I guess, is, is what you were alluding to, is I think yeah. um, we could probably still do a lot of that um, with infrastructure and, and and maybe it's less obvious to see you know the, the fruits of those sorts of applications um, but things where there's just a lot of data happening all the time 
and there's probably easy wins and, and a com coming together with different technologies. Those are the places which um, you, you kind of want to see real activity and real kind of steps forward. I don't think we've seen as much or maybe not so obviously uh, as we have with, you know, self-driving cars, quadcopters, um, trying to think of some other examples. Um, yeah, I'm going to segue again. <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of, that's sort of the similar through. era, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and it's not quite as sexy. Yeah. If you look at it, it's like, saying self-driving cars is always going to get the headline attention as yeah. opposed to like the other applications that the quadcopter could be used for. But yeah, I like that answer. So let's talk about your podcast and you've been doing it for a while now. It's four years mm. or over um, four years maybe. Since 2016, so early 2016. So, so almost, yeah, five years five now. Five years, yeah. And... What I like about that is the world was a completely different place in 2016, especially mm. with respect to AI and the uses, the companies that had adopted AI, like even the idea of ethics around AI. Can you talk to me about some of the changes that you've seen as you've gone through these five years? Yeah, well, I'm glad you point that out because... You know, standing in hindsight now, it seems like it's everywhere. Um, and it might be just my bubbles, my kind of Twitter sphere and things, you know, everyone's talking about it. And back in 2015, when I was starting to talk like in public about this sort of topic and really having no idea what I was talking about, right? Just having an inkling that I was excited about this area. I wanted to talk about it. And in talking about it, it almost kind of meant that I could have those conversations, you know? And that was sort of the driving force behind doing those talks and then subsequently thinking maybe I should invite people on to do a podcast and we can talk about it in like more length and then share it. And hopefully that would be useful to someone. Um, and it was really like that because it wasn't, there wasn't obviously a outlet. Um, and in fact, one of the people, this is a bit, this is a bit shaming, but um, one of the people who you've had on your podcast, which I've also had on my podcast, um, very early on in the episode, so you could find out who it is if you went and checked. Um, but they said to me, maybe you should change the name of the podcast because, you know, this the machine thing I can kind of understand, but ethics, is that not going to be too limiting and too specific, right? Mm -hmm. And... A year after that, they came to me and we were at a conference in, in London, um, a COGX conference, I think. And they were like, okay, well, you know, I was wrong. <laughs> you know? Um, this is actually big. This is, there's mileage in this. And, it's, and from then, it's only got bigger. Like, it's, it's got yeah. ridiculous now. Back then, actually, it wasn't super clear that it was, you know, um, I think that was a year after, so 2017, um, maybe. And there was a, a, a lot to do with um, kind of the, the construction of AI. Like, who are the people making AI? And um, the getting more diversity in that process. So there's a lot on diversity. There's a lot on, or that I could see anyway, um, being talked about. Um, and there was a bit about bias. Um, and 
that was really it. There wasn't, you know, the, the questions hadn't really been asked properly yet or extrapolated out. And obviously there's a lot more happening in the world of just AI generally that played out in that time. Um, lots more kind of um, applications and big capital buyouts and yeah. all these sorts of um, things happening scandals. in the business world. Scandals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Big scandals. Um Documentaries. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just, yeah, just talking about it. So from, from 2015, it was this explosion of like IoT and the big data was a couple of years before people were talking about these kind of names, big data, big data analytics. IoT was still really early kind of in 2015, although it's been around for a couple of years. And um, for me, it was really those things coming together and going, yeah, but like, how does this change us? Like, how, what effect do these things have? Um, and that's why I started to, to think about this more uh, concretely and go and, like, look at the people already doing it, right? That's, that's what was mm. the podcast. Like, let's go and talk to the people who, who are literally already doing this. Lots of academics. And now it's all over the business world as well. So there's lots of yeah. designers and business people who may have been talking about it before, but just not called AI ethics. It was called something else. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> it's just this kind of melting pot now, and it's taken on this shape, um, and it's just much more pervasive than it ever was back then. Um, and it's it's really awesome um, that it's happened, but I also have different feelings about it as well, <laughs> so we can maybe oh, yeah? talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, let's get into that too. <laughs> Um, I guess, so for me, there's this focus in, um, I guess, what is now called AI ethics, right? Um, Which is this umbrella term for like maybe talking about lots of different things about ethics um, and technology, uh, mostly to do with AI applications. I'm doing this funny thing with my hands that no one can see at home if they're listening (laughs) without the video. Um, I like to gesticulate, sorry. Um, And there's lots of things in there which are not necessarily always included in this word AI ethics. So I'm really excited about all those things, um, like um, trans um, humanism, that's not really talked about in AI ethics. Um, There is this kind of big gap on what what is it we should be doing, um, which is more an ethical, like a meta-ethical question about what society should be kind of striving for. That's kind of not really in there. Um, and then there's all this stuff around, you know, uh, personhood and um, what some people would say robo-ethics and not robo-ethics, uh, possibly robo-ethics, but also kind of the ethics of having a entity, like a, a robotic entity, but um, just a artificial entity having rights and all that sort of stuff in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's this, obviously, the idea of the singularity and um, having something which is uh, either much more intelligent than us or the coming together of us and intelligence, this artificial intelligence. And those things are really interesting for different reasons, but I guess the AI ethics thing is more of a business case um, from what I understand when I'm talking to people. Yeah, is okay. how, And it's about uh, application to what's going on right now, which is fine. And, um, you know, what is machine learning applications mostly? Um, they don't really talk about uh, generative stuff or 
um, evolutionary algorithms don't really talk about um, kind of old stuff like expert systems necessarily, or that doesn't really. So it's, it's I don't know. So that's my my personal viewpoint. Um, but that's only picked up from when I'm talking to people. You know, when you talk about AI, they mach- normally machine um, mean machine learning techniques. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's all this kind of like the the meaning is this thing, right? When actually there is this other there's a whole world of AI stuff out there, and it would be nice to explore that sometime as well. But. So, what is it? You mentioned transhumanism. Can you break that down for us? What is that, first of all, and then why is it that you're super excited about it? Um, well, I guess the caveat there is I don't know much about it and I'm not super excited about it. So um, okay. <laughs> transhumanism is is not a recent thing and it's as far as I can understand. And there are lots of very clever people who are talking about it or who just have an interest in um, how humans go into this uh, kind of technology-mediated future where the technology is mediating us, essentially. So we are coming closer to the things that we make. And I think, like the singularity, there's kind of several interpretations of how that will play out. Um, mm-hmm. But it's kind of coming into politics in a way because it's this idea of what should we put down as um, legislation for the future because w- we want to encourage this, this way of being so we need to do x y and z to encourage that so it is quite political in nature as far as i can see um and it's it actually does come down to what's the idea of where we're heading right which is this kind of like ethical trajectory you know what is what's it going to look like in 50 years time for example um so it is interesting in that sense but i don't i'm not very close to it so when you were first starting, I just think, because I still feel like the AI ethics space is very new and it hasn't hit yet. First of all, I feel like the whole machine learning space is very new. And then we're a niche within the niche. When you were first starting in 2016, how hard was it to find people that were doing stuff in this area? Um. I thought you might ask this one. Um, it was relatively difficult um, because you were basically talking to people who were sort of talking around the subject um, because they were roboticists or AI ethic um, AI people, or they they wrote a book about it. So, like, um, so we had some authors and we had some de- uh, like designers and um, makers of things. We actually the first person we interviewed was actually doing um, self-driving car testing. Um, so that does tell you a little bit, you know, about what kinds of things were happening at the time. Um, it's not that long ago. Um, but it wasn't obvious. You know, it wasn't like people had things in their Twitter profile or whatever. It wasn't super obvious that they would be <laughs> interested in talking about this subject on the, on the podcast. There were s- certain people who were like um, obvious choices, Um so they would get wheeled, literally, I do this like an impression, like wh- literally wheeled out on the news whenever there was the, this type of subject. Uh, and they were Joe Bryson and um, Alan, um, Alan, 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 what's the second name? Oh, I'm terrible. Um, um, Alan Winfield um, and a few others. And, and these people were just 
they've just been doing this for a long time, right? They, they've been investigating in this area and, and doing, you know, practical and ethical, um, you know, philosophical stuff um, in academia. And, and it was awesome to speak to them um, on the podcast. And I'm really grateful. And I'm constantly grateful, like, you know, to, you have some great people on your podcast and it's, it's amazing to speak to them and um, have some real sparks of insight mm. from those people um, who spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff, you know. That's it. Um, so it's it, it's great. But yeah, it's become easier in that time for sure. Did you see it as like there was a point, like an inflection point, or was it just a gradual over time you started to see more and more talk about it? Um, I think it was 2018 and it was just this deluge of... Um, principles. Uh, so every company under the sun or organization, governments, um, they started creating kind of principles for AI or their AI principles or their aligned, you know, these documents which basically outline something that they wanted to publicly say that they either cared about or some processes they had for their production of AI. Um, and so I think in 2018, that really kind of exploded um, and everyone was doing it. And it became almost, a, in my world, a meme of itself because it was kind of like, of course, they've got an AI principles document, yeah. of course. Um, <laughs> is that going to be useful? Who knows? We, we haven't seen the fruit of this yet. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it was becoming ridiculous by 2019. Um, and early in 2000 and uh, in late 2017, I was kind of like, oh, maybe I should write some principles for AI ethics. And I didn't, and I'm sort of glad. <laughs> um, yeah, cause it, they wouldn't have been a, half as good as, you know, obviously all these, um, combinations of principles coming together, but also it hasn't been necessarily apparent that these principles have t- turned into something yeah. which is. Uh, necessarily directly applicable, so there is that too, um, and it's hard. It's hard to see the difference in some organisations, um, but yeah. Speaking about that, like going from principles or words that are written on a piece of paper or a screen, and then turning them into action. That's one thing that sometimes I'm a little bit like, ah, oh, I get down because all I'm doing is talking with people about change that potentially needs to happen or ways that we need to look at things. But uh, again, we're a very niche within a niche. And I wonder, it's like how much impact that is going to have and how can we put actionable steps on that? So are there any areas that you've seen actually create impact yeah, um, I think it's easier to look at the places where it hasn't and there have been difficulties um, because they're just more black and white. You know, this thing is bad. Whereas things which aren't necessarily blowing up in someone's face are a little bit harder to say, is that thing good or it just hasn't blown up yet. Um, so it's difficult to say, but, you know, I have heard some good stuff coming from various organizations, um, you know, Microsoft, IBM, um, these sorts of places, they are saying very good stuff and they have people who are good and I've spoken to them and 
um, they say very encouraging things and do great work. So um, I can only hope that some of that stuff really does not only transition to kind of projects and, you know, but gets embedded in a culture, right? Because I think that's one of the things which has to occur um, because this, if for me, this, this idea of ethics or kind of like embedding ethics isn't anyone's job, right? It's, it's almost like people have to be upskilled or just kind of yeah. there has to be this baseline thing happen so that um, we're kind of all aligned. We're kind of, you know, in school, we never really, um, unless you did kind of philosophy or something like that, we never really um, had applications of kind of right and wrong conduct necessarily. Um, and it, it, this kind of, I don't know, it, it, it's, if you did uh, debating and maybe religious studies, a little bit in philosophy, maybe that's a, f a through line, but you can just avoid those things completely. So I think there should be, um, like doing your taxes, like certain things that should be included in education so that when we get to this adulthood stage and we are building stuff which literally affects everyone's lives because they have this stupid thing called a phone in their pocket that Shoot. mediates their existence, that they understand, you know, that they are affecting people in a very direct way. And if they're not, probably in an indirect way. And when you were talking about AI specifically, you can set something up to, to affect lots of people um, indirectly, autonomously, using fancy statistics, right? Um, <laughs> kind of this, I'm going to use this derogatory term for machine learning, sorry. But I, I do love machine learning. Um, but using um, machine learning and and kind of like having all these other things wrapped up in that, like deferring um, responsibility and um, this, the, obviously all the fairness and bias stuff, uh, where you're getting your data from, um, provenance and um, just using the right algorithms and just doing a good job, like caught up in that scenario. And those things really affect lots of people um, especially if you're working at scale, like, um, you know, the Googles of the world. But even if you're not, you might be a startup that are creating this product and it could be like an assistant or something very, very useful that turns into something that everyone has in their hands. TikTok, I don't know, like <laughs> all these things, they, they blow up overnight and then hmm. suddenly um, there is this uh, kind of power exchange and... We just have to be mindful of how we create these things, right? Um, and I don't think it's all on us. I think the systems are actually stacked up against us, but we could do a better job there. And I think part of what this community is advocating is um, education. Um, yeah. And and that is, you know, designers and business people and um, developers and, and all sorts of different people. Um, and then they can work together and they can make really great products for society um, instead of for capital or, or whatever else it is so um yeah again that's a bit of a rant but like it's you can tell i'm getting fired up here but <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot in there um but it's just really important that um we kind of um it's not a band-aid right it's it's this thing that we are we are imbuing to our community to the employees yeah. that we have uh, to enable them to do a better job, hopefully, as well. So, yeah. I like this point of bringing the baseline education up and making sure that it's not 
just the responsibility of the ethicist to think about these things. It should be everyone's responsibility and we should have this code in our minds as we're developing products, especially data products or fancy statistics or AI when it gets to the next levels and how it's going to affect people, how what kind of repercussions there could be and trying to play out every scenario. I think that is something that is very important and it can't be like we can't pass the buck to someone else for doing that. And that's a great point. Along mm. these lines of like conversations or themes that you feel like you've seen cropping up again and again over the last five years, what have been some like main topics that just keep coming up and, and you, you notice them, you feel like they're not finishing or, or you want to bring more attention to them? Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll pay attention to some of the, the well-known ones and then some of the less well-known ones. Um, and sorry if you disagree with me on these um, people out there. Um, you lovely people of your opinions. Um, you're allowed to disagree with me and you can That's shout at me on Twitter you. afterwards. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, diversity is a very important one and I wholeheartedly believe that is worth chasing, right? That's not, that's not, um, ethics washing or, you know, just, uh, liberalism or, you know, the liberal elite telling us that we should do something a certain way. That is just how things should work better. Right. Um, so more diversity is, is only going to be a good thing in my mind. Um, the bias and fairness, those things are difficult um, and working with the sort of technology which ingests um, quite a lot of information that we create, that's a difficult scenario. So um, we should be very delicate about those things and we should reflect on them and understand them and not blindly do stuff. But it doesn't mean that we'll have the right answers all the time, you know. Um, so that's something that which we kind of have to collaborate on and make good for ourselves in the in the business community, in the um, research community, and have some sort of agreement on the best way of doing stuff. Um, you know, working with this type of data, you should look out for this sort of thing. And that should be a well-known fact about different kinds of data coming from different places. And that should be easy in that way. <laughs> you know, there are, there are ways of working these things out. Um, and there are indeed ways, like tools at our disposal to help as well. Um, so those are like two big things, and I think um, they just keep coming round and around, um, and that is fine. Um, before all this kind of blew up, I think there was this idea of the singularity, which was kind of like the polarizing idea. Um, yeah. And obviously there was um, a couple of advocates, well-known advocates for this, and um, you know books like um, Superintelligence and um, things like this, where... Um, we extrapolate into the future and we say, you know, with the tools that we have right now and accelerating compute power or um, ideas and uh, algorithms we're making, we're going to produce this in the next 10, 20, 50 years. Um, and we should start thinking about um, th things associated with that, which is um, kind of more fringe, like the alignment problem. So how do we, how do we um, 
if these are things going to be created at all, and when I mean that, I mean kind of a generalized artificial intelligence, like super intelligence. Um, if we're going to make this at all, and the it looks like people are interested in making it, right? Um, then we should probably work out how it's going to work in a in a positive fashion, right? And one of the biggest things that people have um, have looked at is this idea of this misalignment. So we create something, and then it um, either annihilates us because it interprets us wrong, because there's a lot of semantic um, knowledge wrapped up in the things that we say and the things that we don't say. Um, and it's very hard to actually, if, if anyone's done um, NLP, like semantic, uh, not semantic, um, natural language processing for sentiment, then they all know that there's a lot of things that are hard to um, you know, work out from people. And people actually are not very good at um, necessarily communicating their values or their, mm. their needs very effectively. Um, yeah. And that is a problem when you're talking about machines which have less nuance about them. Um, and, and they're also playing a different game, right? Because they're not playing in this social game that we are all existing in. The social game, which is we have to cooperate because we have to feed ourselves and we have this uh, economic and legal infrastructure. So, and they, they don't live in that world. So the world that they live in is going to look really different as well, again. So these environments interacting spell all sorts of strange um, happenings, which um, you know we we need to anticipate, um, which is partly to do with this alignment problem. Um, and there's been lots of people like talking about how we um, rectify that, but there's no real consensus at the moment how that plays out. Um, so that's a real fertile um, area, but it has no definitive business application right now, mm. which is yeah. one of the issues. Um, another area which is my personal fascination, uh, not. My, not just me, but like um, out of all these different things, I'm most fascinated by machine ethics. And um, after the title was given to my podcast, I realized that there was actually a thing already called machine ethics. Um, so that was uh, kind of pie in my face. Uh, but it kind of worked out because it is awesome. So machine ethics is the idea that if you have an artificial agent, so it could be anything, it could be the, the dumbest thing ever, but it has some sort of kind of uh, moral responsibility to something else. So though it can't necessarily be a moral patient, so, you know, if you turn it off, you're not going to worry about it being, you know, like, you know, you killed it or something. It's, 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 um, it's able to affect people who have patiency. So it might affect me, for example. So, um, and a good example of this is there's an artificial, um, a, automated car and it makes decisions on someone's behalf and though the car if it crashed you wouldn't worry about it but if there was someone in the car then obviously you would um so that's the kind of definition um or the difference um let's say um so machine ethics is this kind of pursuit of what does that mean um to have a uh, a moral agent operating in, the, in an environment and how do we make something which is actually kind of more aligned this is alignment thing coming in again um, with what we want or what are the norms that we uh, see in the world um, and yeah that's just super interesting and I don't think that's really uh, got a definitive kind of set of solutions yet either um, yeah thanks <laughs> ramble over <laughs> <laughs> Well, going back to the diversity and bias piece, I think 
that part is so important, as you mentioned. And I'm wondering why you feel like it's still being talked about. Does that mean that like there's not really advancements happening in it? Yeah, I think um, I think the diversity thing is is yeah, it's a problem, right? It's it's constantly a problem, and it's not just technology, but it's it's been traditionally a problem in in tech companies, um, and it it needs to get better. But it also comes down to, you know, previous mistakes. So, um, you know, if you're encouraging more developers who are female, for example, then we've got this big, uh, there might be a big gap uh, when um, there weren't so many people in education, you know, encouraging girls to do computing, whatever, um, if they show, if they were like looking like they're interested or just, you know, that wasn't the culture they were born up, brought up in uh, for various reasons, right? Um, and we need to do better at kind of encouraging people generally to um, to um, be brought up into different positions. <laughs> and technology is great because it has so much uh, buying power at the moment. So the, the idea that you can have a steady job in tech is is very much a, a thing. So you want to encourage people to have flexible hours and to have nice perks and stuff like that, then technology is a good place to be. And it's just really interesting as well, in, in my personal opinion. Um, so even if you're doing you know, design or uh, more developer stuff or um, you know, leading a team or doing agile development um, processes, then there's lots of um, places for people with different skill sets. And we should really be encouraging broad spectrum of people to do those jobs, right? Uh, where we can. Um, because we want to bring people up and we want people generally to be, um, to feel like they are enabled and to have um, um, mobility, right? Um, but also the products that you create with um, a diverse team are coming from a, div a diverse place. So the hope is there that you are able to create things which, um, you know, have um, don't have stupid things happening because we didn't test it on certain people because hopefully that would have been picked up in the development process and all the sort of stuff. Um, and you get like a, a better mixing pot of ideas and um, all this sort of thing. So although you might be a small team, um, you you want to talk to lots of people. You know, there's things you can do regardless yeah. um, of like how you work, right? Big companies, obviously, it's a different ball game. But I think I always feel like it's different for small companies. And I think small companies um, they can do they can do they can still do things in this area, which can be helpful for them for themselves. You know, as well as helping people um, get into the jobs they want to get. So. Yeah, I find it fascinating because I know various companies that are small companies and they tried to hire as diversely as possible and struggle because the field that you can choose from is so limited because we don't have what you were talking about. We don't have so many, like there's a much, it's much easier to find a white male who can do the job because there are so many more of them. And then 
I've even heard complaints from different CEOs saying, yeah, we, we've been trying really hard and we've interviewed, uh, but the women that we've interviewed have, they know that they're oversubscribed. They know that their position is very, very high up because they are a woman in tech. So it's, there have been some things where we look at it and we say, hmm, do we take a hit on the cultural side because they're not the perfect cultural fit, but we get diversity? Or do we continue with the trends that we've been doing? And this probably sounds horrible coming from two white men talking about this right now. And mm -hmm. I understand that we are, we have like no reason to like we should just probably no no I think it, but... I think you're thinking about it wrong I think we are part of the problem and therefore part of the solution right so mm. I think we've got a lot to do and a lot to say I just don't think we are um, necessarily the the best advocates for this right mm. um, so I think I think um, yeah it, we can we can do so much um, and it is difficult sometimes but i think it's not as difficult as people maybe make out it is mm. um but again i've not been in those positions of those hiring positions um so it's really easy for me to say on this side of the mic right so yeah. um but yeah i think the the issue that you were you were talking about before is it's they, their argument was a cultural argument, and I think there are things you can do there as well. So I don't know. It's, it is difficult, but I think if you're running a business, you're also running, you know, you're, you're running, you're not running a, like a, a, a club or like a fun time show, right? You're running a business and you want people to work well together and you need to facilitate that. And part of that is like, building a culture, but also encouraging that culture to develop. Mm. So I don't know. I, I, I think these things can be worked out. But um, if the person is not a very nice person, then maybe don't hire them. But like, yeah. you know, I don't think, um, um, I don't know. Uh, there's, there's just pithy things I want to say, but I'm going to stop there. Thanks. <laughs> oh, I think I know where you're going with that. And I can see the point completely and the other piece i wanted to say around this just flew away from my mind <laughs> when we were thinking about that but it is a it is a fascinating conversation because if we look at today the amount of people that are able to or are are capable of let's just say doing uh, front-end development, right? And you have mm. this difference. You have whatever it is that there's more white men that you can choose from. Then to get women involved in this or to get someone else from a different race, it doesn't, we, we've kind of been saying it's women or men, but yeah. of course there are always, there's, other areas that you can yeah. choose from to have uh, diverse teams. I'm, I guess the question that I have is, how can we get people involved that aren't necessarily coders or designers? Is, it, is there, do you feel like there's 
a potential to bring people in that don't have these specialties in coding, but could still have specialties in just, it's like, I think of it like they have the background, they have the culture specialties, they have the insights. And maybe it's not that you hire them as a full-time employee, but like you were saying, you need to go out there and you need to talk with these people before you put any product into the market, especially if it is a data product that is using data from many different sources. Yeah. Um, so this is a general practice, right? Um, so this is this is already happening. And if it's not happening, then you're doing something wrong. Um, if you're making something for people, then the accepted idea behind this when you're designing is you go talk to those people. Um, and it just so happens that if you're designing for everyone, which is kind of a, a, a hard thing to do, but obviously we have lots of things which are aimed at lots and lots of people, uh, millions of people, then you have to go and talk to a sub, you know a cross-section of those people and you have to work out, um, you don't have to, but it is, I um, advise to go and talk to those people about how those things, you know, how you can better improve your product, um, how their usage of the product is happening and, and learn from those people and, um, you know, play anthropologist and, and do your user research. Um, so I don't think this is something new or, um, you know, obscure for teams already doing this work. Um, but I guess it's like working out um, what is the ethical saliency in some of that work uh, and pulling that out um, is some of the work that I'm doing at the moment. Um, so, you know, what advice would you give to use user researchers and designers when they are thinking about um, their specific users and they will have specific users? Um, is it that they are actually incorporating thinking around the users and they are, you know, direct network, for example, and the kind of people that might be influenced by their usage of whatever the system that you're using is, um, kind of those indirect unintended consequences of the system itself. Um, and are you being, you know, is it appropriate the things you're doing for those users? And indeed on a higher level, is it appropriate, you know, at all to do it? You know, what's the kind of environment that this product is going to create in, in the future? Um, so there's kind of lots of levels of thinking there, but I think that, um, you should, you know, the teams should be doing this thinking already in a way. So, mm. yeah. So, who do you feel like is being, uh, I don't want to say pushed into AI or different profiles that you're seeing coming up in the AI space? Mm, how do you mean um, companies or? Yeah. So, I would say, like, along these lines of, new hires and new titles that are being created because I think I see every day on LinkedIn somebody with a new title around AI. And part of that is just because we can make up our own titles on LinkedIn. <laughs> and the other part is because there might actually be a need or a, a genuine problem that they're solving and it is actually a, a valid title. What do you feel like are new roles within AI that have come about? Um, I don't know, but I think it's funny because in I think it's uh, data scientist as a thing has only been around for so long, right? Um, 
I think it's just over 10 years that data scientist was a coined thing. And it was around about the same time that we had like, you know, um, Code Ninja and Social Media Guru and all sorts yeah. of ridiculousness happening in people's business cards. Yeah, exactly. So I imagine it was probably quite hard to take seriously. And <laughs> interestingly, in 2015, right, I was joking with someone that, you know, I should put AI ethicist on my business card, right? Oh, yeah, I could be an AI ethicist. Um, and people are, are that now, right? People do, that's what they sell themselves as. And yeah. I kind of have that on my thing because um, everyone else does, not because I think it's actually necessarily appropriate. It just makes it easier for people to hire me or like contact me. Um, yeah, the irony. Um, so these things change over time and there's lots of different um kind of jobs, um, you know, like a data engineer and data scientist and, um, you know, even strange things like digital anthropologists are coming into the business world now. Um, and uh, I think the underrated people in this way um, hmm. are sociologists, like people who really understand um, people's data are gold dust. Like I, I really don't find enough of those people because you have all this data coming in and if it's not like geological data, right? If you're talking about uh, satellite data, geological data, weather data, something like that, you, you're talking about kind of something which is in, in line with someone who knows about those sorts of things. A lot of the apps and things like that are to do with usage, people usage yeah. and people preference and people stuff. And those people are sociologists and anthropologists, right? Who study that stuff. And designers and user <laughs> experience people and user researchers, they do some of that work for sure. Um, but they don't necessarily understand data. And, soci and sociologists, in my mind, are the perfect in-between where they understand um, some of the kind of the aspects of collecting and, and asking questions of people mm. and translating that into something useful over here. And then you can work with those people to then build that up into systems and work out how you can exploit those into strange algorithmic decision-making circumstances. Um, but yeah, I haven't met enough people who say they are a sociologist. Wow. Um, and you just think about the, the amount of forms that you fill in on a daily basis, the things yeah. that you click on, and the meanings of those interactions get incorporated into these designs from designers and developers, not from anyone else necessarily who actually knows about how people interact. So <laughs> I find like this is it's baffling to me sometimes. And again, I, I do think designers um, are doing a lot of this work at the moment, but I think there could be a bigger place for people who have a closer affinity to people people interacting with data who are in my mind are those sociologists but um yeah i could be jumping up the wrong tree but i think there's a gap there yeah where did all the sociologists go that is an interesting one or maybe it's just that they don't know there is a market here or that their skills can be used for what yeah. is happening in this sector yeah i I like that. I hadn't thought about that, but it makes complete sense. I'll buy into your theory. I, mm. I definitely yes. can see it. it yeah, you could you could call it something else. You could call it like um, data psychologist or something. You could give yeah. it a new title. It doesn't matter. Um, but it's that person whose I guess its job is to take incoming data 
and maybe tweak it. Tell the designer, actually, if you say this instead of this, mm. you might get a different response. And that response is actually going to be more applicable to what we're trying to infer from them. And these sorts of micro interactions are where we often trip up in this process. Yeah, that's huge, right? And it's on so many levels, like the copy, how this looks, yeah. where do you put the buttons and all of the little nuances that you're speaking of, this micro pieces that play a part in the macro. Yeah, 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 definitely. So because I am sure that you have seen the leaked proposed regulation that came out uh, just last week. And for those who are listening, we're probably going to put this episode out in a few months. So it may be totally water under the bridge or that, no, that's not the right metaphor for it, but it might be old news by the time this comes out. But I would like to talk about a bigger question, which is the differences between ethics in the US and in Europe and how you've seen those play out in the people that you've interviewed. Yeah, um, so it's it's interesting that you say that because the, the last interviewee that I had, which probably will be a couple of episodes back now, um, which will, which is Josie Young, um, actually did talk about this dichotomy because she used to live in London, now lives in uh, Vancouver, I think. Um, yeah, that's right. And the difference that she sees, because um, I haven't spent a long, long time, I've holidayed in the US, but I've never spent uh, months at a time, um, is that you have this, in, in Europe, you have this kind of um, pro top-down um, legislative power thing going on. So people are interested in legislation and are happy that, uh, or they can debate whether the legislation is good or bad, such, such. but they are happy to do that kind of in private. Whereas she thinks that um, because there's kind of more of a state-led situation, um, so there might it's more kind of it seems more local that you will get out onto the streets more readily and um, go and um, advocate your point of view on a subject. There's this new piece of legislation kind of thought about, and let's let's go and riot about it, right? Let's go and have our say, like today, <laughs> and I. We do have some of that, but I don't, uh, like, Josie just sees that we are less um, prone to go out on the streets. Uh, maybe the French are a bit more more so, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's interesting. Um, I think the difference isn't probably as stark as it should be. I think the UK government are very, um, now that we've um, been Brexited from the European Union, um, this, the things that they say about AI is generally very pro-business. So I think they've got, in my humble opinion, um, not spent a lot of time in the cabinet um, at all. Um, but the things they, they say that I've seen is pro-business. We want to encourage innovation and we want to encourage AI stuff to happen. And we are not anti-legislation, but we are very cautious. And I think that's a similar tactic to what the US is saying as well. Um, where they they are pro business, they're pro capital. So um, it's a bit of a difficult one for those legislators. And how do you feel about that stance? 
I think, well, I've got lots of feelings about this. So uh, um, I think I've been trying to work out recently if what we are talking about and if you stay in this AI ethics bubble and you actually don't, I mean, this idea of like whether this is useful at all as a stance is probably in there. But if you don't spend a lot of time with that question, you're then going to just do the work and it's going to be fine. Um, but it's all in service of this, you know, shareholder thing that has grown up of um, out of um, capitalist um, economics. And I'm trying to work out whether that is incompatible with what we are trying to do with ethics or AI ethics. Um, and I'm trying to, and there's a lot of talk about um, environmentalism and incorporating social responsibility in a more meaningful way in business. And there's lots of push to do that and lots of uh, acronyms of people's jobs in big companies that do those sorts of things. That's great. But I think there's still this piece missing where structurally, right, the infrastructure of how business operates isn't set up for um, pro-social, pro-environmental activity. Um, unless you're doing very specific things like charities or social enterprises or whatever. But the majority of money-making activity isn't that. And yeah. I think that's probably a problem. And I don't, haven't spent a lot of time researching it to work out how it can be resolved or how there could be other options. And it aggravates me when there's lots of people who um, are researching this and just find it interesting and tell, like I spoke to someone the other day and it's, it was like, great, there's all these strange things happen, happening around assetization of digital products and resources and stuff like that and trading. And I'm like, cool, but what is that good? Is that bad? Like, you know, what's your take? And I wish people like that had more of a thrust into, well, actually, it could be better like this, or actually, this is probably a negative um, thing going forward. Um, and it's hard to say, probably, but I think you have to use your imagination sometimes and work out um, and be brave, right? And have a stance on things. Um, and I think my stance is going to be <laughs> um, that it's, it's that we probably have to transition into a world which um, doesn't favor capital anymore um, as the number one driver. And that is an economic system which is going to have to wholesale change. And I don't know necessarily how that change will occur, but if it doesn't happen, I'm not sure I can do my job very well, right? Um, and it's been really interesting working with public organizations recently because that is a less of a problem. So I'm actually yeah. having to think in a whole different way because I haven't got this capital thing weighing me down constantly, like shareholders and um, yeah. business strategy and executives and stuff like this. And I, I haven't realized how much of a weight off my shoulders it has been not to have to deal with that um, in that direct way anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, it's like these two counter-opposing forces. Yeah. And they're really battling against each other for who wins out. That, I, yeah, that that, they're, not, they're not always battling either. It's just that infrastructurally they are. Like some mm -hmm. businesses are driven by really amazing leaders who lead great companies, right? And um, have uh, a passion and they have maybe a set of values which is aligned with some of that stuff. But just the infrastructure of how um, companies are created and, and um, bought and sold and capital is exchanged and markets are made, is that's not where 
you know, you have to have those people involved to actually make that happen. Whether infrastructurally, we should do something there. Mm. Big words from you, Ben. I like it. Calling for change. (laughs) Calling for a revolution, I might even say. (laughs) So (laughs) I've got one last question for you before we go. And I really want to thank you for coming on here and talking to me about all this good stuff and sharing this evolution that you've seen. It's really fascinating for me who... I'm a bit newer in the field and I get to talk to you, an old hat, we could say, in the field. And you chased after it just because it was you were interested in it. And I love hearing that. You wanted For to sure. have conversations. There was something that you said at the beginning is that if I started a podcast, I could have conversations with these people. And it's exactly that. Like I can relate with that so much because yeah. I wanted to have these conversations. And I felt like these conversations needed to be had also. And so, yeah, what can we do? Well, we're all locked at home, or at least we were. Now, some Mm. people aren't as locked at home as I am in Germany. I'm still stuck at home. (laughs) So, (laughs) I'm in the uh, office, but there's no one here. So, yeah. (laughs) So, the the last question that I have for you, Ben, is: Are you a robot? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) There's no good answer there. Yeah, it's it's really hard to explain why you're not. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, you could. I mean, I guess it depends on your definition of robot, right? But mm. um, I'm gonna go with yes, I'm a robot. <laughs> Final answer. All right, I like it, and I appreciate you being on here again. This has been awesome. Great chat. It's been a pleasure. Thanks Cheers. very much for your time. Bye.